Oh, Father God, tonight we thank you. That is our testimony. All of our life, you've been faithful. And that's why we sing of your goodness. We thank you for your loving kindness, your tender mercies. Thank you, Lord God, for the final installment of this week. You kept us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and here we are again. And we thank you because we know that our gathering is unto your name. We bless your name tonight, Father. Thank you for your unction, for your anointing. Thank you for breaking open the seals of your word. Thank you for refreshing us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you because you're a good God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So here we are now. We began the journey on Sunday, and this is Friday night, and we are taking a last installment, at least for this season. Amen. So all week long, we've been teaching on you have the mind of Christ. Uh, we began by talking about how Jesus gave us a brand new mind when he went to the cross. And then we came back and talked about how negative thoughts are not your thoughts. And then we came back and spoke about how the mind of Christ is the mind of perfect love. And last night, we said that the mind of Christ is the mind of peace. So tonight, for the grand finale, we are going to use the subject title, Give Your Carnal Mind a Decent Burial. Give your carnal mind a decent burial. I hope you guys will not be crying for burying it, but I'm telling you, we need to give this carnal mind a decent burial. Amen? Because as we own the mind of Christ, as our true identity, once and for all, we get to live the glorious life that Jesus came to give us. Uh, in order to do that, we have to be separated or have a barrier for carnality. Uh, let me just go to a scripture, Revelation, I didn't give you this, Genesis chapter 23, in verse 4 and verse 8, Genesis 23, verse 4 and 8. I'll read it. This is Abraham speaking, and he spoke with them saying, it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight. Hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me. Uh, oh, that's verse 4. That's verse 8, actually. So let me read verse 4. Verse 4. Genesis 23, verse 4. I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the idea here is, Based on everything we've learned all week long, we realize that there's a part, uh, that there's a mindset, rather, there's a mindset that's constantly mitigating against operating in the mind of Christ. And so what we are saying tonight is we want to give that mindset, that carnal mindset, we want to give it a decent barrier, okay? Something amazing happened to your mind in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you are born again, that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead came to live in you to manifest the mind of Christ in your thoughts, your feelings, and the purposes of your heart. Amen? By now, all of us, you know that definition, the mind of Christ. The thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of God's heart. Or another insight to that definition is having Christ's perceptions. Amen? So your old identity was crucified with Christ. The old anxious, fearful, depressed, guilty, condemned, and sinful nature died with Jesus. And you are resurrected with, the, with him with a brand new mind. You are given the very mind of Christ. So let's go to the scripture in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in the Passion Translation, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Now, you, you hear some teachers, and you read certain uh, translations of the Bible, and you can easily get confused by the use of certain phrases. For instance, the phrase sinful nature. Sinful nature. 
as a born-again believer, your sinful nature was destroyed with Christ on the cross. So if you are born again, you no longer have a sinful nature in you. Amen. And we're going we're to get to that more again tonight. But it is very confusing sometimes when we throw away, when you throw words around or throw phrases around uh, because believers have, we have this uh, confusion or confused uh, theory or theology that I have the divine nature and I also have the sinful nature. No, you, you have one or the other. Galatians 2.20. My old identity, that's the sinful nature. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. That's a fact. In fact, it's not a fact, it's the truth. <laughs> Facts can change, truth don't change. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. Now, this is so clear. If we are living with Jesus as union as one, can I have one mindset and he has another one? Nope. There's a name, psychiatrists call that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just not possible, okay? My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. Now, this is, this is huge. We, I don't have time to really come there tonight because this new life we're trying to live, it's not a matter of me just saying, I'm going to exercise my faith, I'm going to do this. So I, no, it is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. Does Jesus have faith? Come on, guys. Does he have faith? Yes. Don't hesitate. Jesus has faith. Is there any problems with Jesus' faith? No. No. There's no problem with Jesus' faith. So the scripture is telling us, this new life, this new creation lifestyle, this mindset of the mind of Christ that you and I live is being empowered, not by your faith, because your faith sometimes is hot and sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's high, sometimes it's low. My faith, your faith can be inconsistent at times. But we live this life not by our own faith, but by the faith of the Son of God, whose faith we know is consistent, consistently. Yes. Amen? Amen? Who lost me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Amen? So, we've been given the very man of Christ. So the question tonight is, do we have two natures? Can anybody answer that question? <laughs> okay, maybe as soon as you say, do we? Let me say, do you have two natures? No. <laughs> okay, another way of saying it, do you have two minds? No. Because how you answer that question is critical to how you live. Most of us live as if we have two natures and two minds. And that's why we struggle with doubt. We struggle with worry. We struggle with fear. We struggle with guilt. We struggle with comparison and jealousy. Why? Because we don't know who we are. One day we're this nature. Did I say one day? That's too long, 24 hours. One minute we're this nature. The next minute we're different nature. One second we're this mind. The next man, in fact, you saw that with Jesus and Peter. In one moment, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, whoa, yeah. flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. Except the father showed it to you. The next moment, mm -hmm. get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> because the guy, he was on key one moment and was off key the next moment. And unfortunately, for the most part, that's how many Christians live. And that's why this whole week, we are dealing with this issue 
of the mind of Christ. Because God does not want us to live like a yo-yo, up one day, down the next day, not knowing who we are, confused about our identity. Amen? So the fruit of, the fruit of a person's life who lives a double-minded and doesn't embrace the truth about who they truly are in Jesus is doubt, worry, fear, guilt, jealousy, and on and on and on. Give me James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1, verse 8, in the Amplified Classic. So we do not have two minds, neither do we have two natures. James 1.18, in the Amplified Classic. Thank you, Jesus. James 1.18, let me... Okay, I brought my own tonight. Uh, okay, here we go. This is written from the Amplified Translation, James 1, verse 18. It says, And it was, and it was of his own free will that he gave us birth as sons by his word of truth. Is this correct? Wait a minute. Oh, let me start from verse 7. I'm sorry. James 1, 7, 8. Oh, wow. I can actually. James 1, I'm going to start from verse 6. Ah, thank you. Only it must be in faith that he asked with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting. For the one who wavers, hesitates, doubts, is like a billowing surge out of at, at sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. For truly, let not such a person imagine he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. He's talking about a person that's double-minded. Verse 8. For being as he is, a man of two minds. Do you see what happens when you have two minds? Hesitating, dubious, irresolute, is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything it thinks, feels, decides. Wow. Are there any takers tonight for being double-minded? <laughs> Won't have the regular self-mind or the mind of Christ. When, when we do that, when we try to operate in both, we are unstable, we are uncertain, and we do not live a productive life, okay? But the struggle in our minds is over when we embrace the truth that we have one nature and one mind. You know, as I was thinking about this today, please go to Genesis 2.19 in the New King James. As I was thinking about this today, I said, if this is really true, and I know it's true, can we just find a classic, simple scripture that really helps us see how this worked out? And here we have it in Genesis 2.19. Okay. Nick, you do, but leave it like this. Oh, okay, well, you got it. Look at this. Look at what God did with Adam. Before the fall, to show you how being in union with one, we can have the same mind as God. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Right? And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Wow, nobody else is impressed except me. Yes. <laughs> Folks, do you, do, 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 you, do you understand what just happened here? God created all the animals. This is your National Geographic in Genesis. And God brought all those animals to Adam. They had no names. God knew what he would call them. But he said, Adam, I'm going to give it to you to call whatever I'm going to call them. And Adam named all of them. Chimpanzee, show up. Donkey, show up. Snake, show up. Uh, turkey, show up. What animal? Lion, elephant. Since then till now, those names have not changed. 
Chimpanzee did not become a, 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 a turtle 100 years later. Whatever Adam called those animals back then was sanctioned by God because, because that was the same thing that was in God's mind. How did Adam know that? How did Adam know what was in God's mind to name the animals exactly what God would name them? If Adam, operating in the mind of God, back in Genesis, and could rightly discern what God was thinking, how much more for me and you now in the new creation? Because Jesus came to give us more than what Adam had. It didn't just make us like Adam. Now we have the resident Jesus in the inside of us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So the point I'm making here is, if Adam could name the animals and call those animals the name that God will call them, you and I have the capacity under the influence of the Holy Spirit to know the mind of God Amen. and act and operate in that mindset all of the time. Yeah. Amen? Is anybody impressed yet? Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble tonight. No, no, I'm not in trouble. I have the mind of Christ. Amen. <laughs> no, but seriously. Now, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. So, you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and you have a righteous mind. You have the very mind of Christ. Now, when you embrace the truth about your righteous identity in Jesus, you live a stable, confident, and, ab and about everything you think, feel, and decide. In other words, you'll be very stable, you'll be very confident about everything you think, feel, and decide. Let's go to Isaiah 32, verse 17. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Isaiah 32, verse 17. How will I know when I'm operating in the mind of Christ? How will I know when I've, when, when I've embraced this truth? How will I know when I am functioning in the mind of Christ? Do you know how you're going to know? It's going to come out of your mouth. The way you know when you're starting to function in this reality is going to start coming out of your mouth. Yeah. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. You're going to start speaking what God says about you. That will be your, that will be your, 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 your default. When this truth gets in you, that's how you know this truth is in me now. No matter what you're faced with, no matter what's said to you, no matter where you are, no matter the set of circumstances, no matter what's happening around you or to you, when you fully embrace this message and this truth, it will find an expression through your mouth. You're going to speak it out. Absolutely. That's what Hebrews 13 tells us, verse 6. Because God has said, we will boldly say. Because God has said, not just because you think, not just because you want to do it, but because God has said, what God's saying has empowered you to boldly make a declaration. And the more you are establishing that truth, the more you'll be able to spit it out. Out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. In other words, what's in you is what's going to come out. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 32, verse 17. The work of righteousness will be peace, Ma'am, can you give that to me in an amplified cl a classic, please? Thank you. Thank you. Look at this. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. Internal and external. Huge. That's what I was saying last night when I went on that trip, and I remember the name of the guy now, Howard Pittman. Yeah. We're all falling apart based on what was happening. And Howard Pittman was resolute, stable, confident, had no fear whatsoever. He had internal peace and he had external peace. Mm -hmm. 
the effect of righteousness will be peace. Internal, in other words, there's no turmoil going on inside of you. External, you're not hurried and just say, oh my, what am I going to do? No. And the result of righteousness will be quietness and confident trust forever. Oh man, yes. I saw that on that day. I saw that. And one of the crazy things that happened on that trip, we're trying to change U.S. dollars. Can you imagine this? We're trying to change, we're trying to change cash, U.S. dollars cash in Nigeria. Nobody would, nobody would give us uh, local currency. Which means we could not check in, in the hotel. All kinds of crazy things. I don't want to, I don't want to take a digression. Get into that. I mean, can, can you imagine you hold dollars like this? I'm talking about in West Africa. Nobody, no takers. Hired a group of seven people who were trying to check in the hotel. They said, well, we, we won't take U.S. dollars. You have to bring local currency. We had no money. Our pen was, it was not moved. He just said, don't worry about it. We sit in the lobby for a while. <laughs> and and I'm, losing, I'm, I'm losing my Holy Ghost, just standing there, just huffing and puffing. You guys won't take dollars. What's wrong with you? He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But anyway, the effect, the result of righteousness will be quietness and confident trust forever. Now, since we want to bury the carnal mind tonight, carnal mind tonight, let's talk about carnality for a minute. What about the carnal mind? What about the carnal mind? Even though we've been using the theme scripture of 1 Corinthians 2.16 all week, that teaches us that we have the mind of Christ, for many years I was taught and believed that I also had a carnal mind. Most of us buy into that. When we hold on to these opposing beliefs about our identity, it keeps us in this constant struggle with condemnation, anxiety, worry, fear, stress, confusion, and trying to fix our minds with our own effort. The truth of the matter tonight is, you do not have a dual nature or a dual identity. You don't. Ask yourself this question, do I have a carnal mind? Or do I have the mind of Christ? You can only have one at one time, in any given scenario. Either you're operating in carnality, or you're operating in the mind of Christ. You can have both. Again, when you seek to have both, there's a name psychiatrists call that. <laughs> because only one of those terms defines the truth about your mind and your identity. And whichever one of them you embrace, we determine the fruit of your life. That's why this is important. What we're talking about here tonight, all week is important. Whichever one of these identities you embrace will determine the fruit of your life. If you embrace carnality, which we're going to define in a minute, then there are certain fruit that carnality brings forth. But if you embrace the mind of Christ, there is another set of fruit that mindset brings forth. So the issue is, which one do we want? So Apostle Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verses 1, 2, and 3. He says that when we do not embrace the truth that we have the mind of Christ, we live our lives like unbelievers. Very, very, very true. So, so now, let, let, let me set this up. Leave that scripture the, the way it is. So the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is verse 16. That's the verse where it tells us that you have the mind of Christ, the thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of God's heart. That's where it makes that firm statement. Now look at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. However, however is connecting, that word is connecting, what it's about to say with what it said previously. Mm -hmm. However, brethren, I could not talk to you as to spiritual men, but as to non-spiritual men of the flesh, in whom the carnal nature predominates, as to mere infants. Now, that's, that's a very interesting word there, that word infant. Most of us here seen an infant, right? When an infant is hungry at 2 o'clock in the morning, what happens? Nah. 
<laughs> that infant does not take into consideration, oh, my father may be asleep, tired from the day's work, mommy's done all. No. Infant says, listen, I need attention. I don't care what you're doing. I don't know what your problem is, but right now, I, listen, I need a bottle. Get up, go get it. For the infant, what is, what's the emphasis? Me, 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 me. So Paul introduces that here. He said, what I'm talking to you guys, because you're not spiritual, you are like mere infants. The only thing lacking is, I need to give you a feeding bottle. Because it's all about you. As a mere infant in a new life in Christ, unable to talk yet. Verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not yet strong enough to be ready for it, but even yet you are not strong enough to be ready for it. Okay, is that a repetition of what? Verse 3. For you are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh under the control of ordinary impulses. For as long as there are envy and jealousy and wrangling and factions among you, you are not are you not unspiritual and of the flesh, behaving yourselves after a human standard and like mere unchanged man? Ooh, my goodness. It's like Paul is in our church. Envy, jealousy, wrangling, factions. Oh, I'm uh, from the north. I'm from the west. I'm from the south. I'm from the East. I speak Igbo. I speak Hausa. I speak Yoruba. I speak Ebonics. On and on and on it goes. He said, the reason this is happening is because you guys have no idea who you are. Like babies, you continue to nurture your self-life instead of the mind of Christ. Now remember, these are the same people to who he just spoke in 1 Corinthians 2.16, you have the mind of Christ. So now in this chapter, he's addressing the things that's happening within the church that is clearly showing that even though they've been equipped with the capacity to think like Jesus, but they've chosen instead to continue to live in carnality. And unfortunately, much has not changed since Paul spoke to the Corinthians. So now, in 1 Corinthians 3, from what we just read, Paul was correcting the wrong behavior that was coming from the Corinthians who did not fully understand what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, were not believing the truth that he taught them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about their new identity concerning their new minds. Now, let's look at the word, the meaning of this word, carnal. That word carnal comes from the Greek word, sarkikos. And it simply means having the nature of the flesh. To be carnal means to have the nature of the flesh or to be governed by mere human nature and not by the Spirit of God. Ooh. Having the nature of the flesh or to be governed by mere human nature, not by the Spirit of God. In other words, when I take my dictates, when I make choices, say things, do things that originates from my self-life and not by the Spirit of God, I'm operating in carnality. I will not dare ask today how many carnal acts you had all day today. <laughs> I, gi I give us all a pass on that. We all had the mind of Christ all day long. Amen. <laughs> so the word carnal actually describes our old nature of the flesh that died with Jesus. It literally means one who is governed by their human nature and not by the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible teaches us that our old sinful nature ruled by the flesh died with Jesus. 
and our old guilty, condemned, and carnal mind was buried with him too. Please, let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 in the NIV. Colossians chapter, 2, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Thank you. Watch this. In him you are also circumcised. And he put it off of the old sinful nature. Do you see that? The old sinful nature is put off. It's put off. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So the word flesh in this scripture comes from the Greek word that actually means carnally minded, which denotes mere human, human nature, earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed, opposed to God. So just keep that Colossians chapter 2 on there, but now give it to me in the, in the Passion Translation from verses 11 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Hallelujah. Let's start from verse 11. Through our union with Jesus, our old man of the flesh and its guilt-ridden mind was cut away and made extinct. You had it for a minute. Okay. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. We need to pray the mind of Christ on this machine. <laughs> Praise God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Okay, let me read it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. And all of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. For we have been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. It canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Whoa. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently, and there is a public display of consolation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, glory to God, Jesus led them around as prisoners in the possession of triumph. Now watch this, this last sentence. He, Jesus, was not their prisoner. They were his. That is very, very important. Jesus was not a prisoner, but rather they were his. Amen? So through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that the old mind of the flesh, the sinful nature, has been cut away from us. Now, why must we pay attention to to this issue of being carnally minded. Romans 8, verses 5 through 9 in the New King James Version. Romans 8. Let me quickly go there. 
Why must we pay attention? Romans 8, verses 5 through 9. This is huge. Ah! The machine has resurrected. Praise God. Look at what it says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Remember the flesh? The life apart from divine influence. We can say that. We can say those who live according to a self-life without divine influence set their minds on the things without divine influence. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. Now, why should we be concerned? This is why we should be concerned. For to be carnally minded is what? Death. Now, when we say death here, we're not talking about just graveyard. Death. How about everything you touch just dies? How about if I'm carnally minded and I'm a businessman, I can just be sure that that business is going to die? If not gender to anything that's good, godly, or honors God, or promotes the kingdom of God. How about relationships I get into in the flesh? What's the outcome of that? Go and ask them in Hollywood. They hook up today, three months later, they are fighting one another. Divorce. Amen? Amen. Being carnally minded is not an option. That's right. To be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 6. No, verse 7. Verse 7. Because the, now watch this now. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible. There is nothing Ishmael could have done to please God. Because Ishmael is just flesh. And Isaac is the promise. Spirit. Both of them don't mix. Verse 9. But you, now look at this. Okay, I, I, I'm going to come back and break this all down. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of God, it's not his. So going back now to that verse 5, let me just go back to Romans 8 verse 5. Verse 5 says, when you identify with the flesh, you set your mind on the natural man. You define yourself in the flesh rather than the spirit. But when you identify with the spirit, you set your mind on Jesus and the union. In other words, your decision-making process, how do you do it? Do you employ carnal means, sense knowledge, reasoning apart from God? The city I'm going to live in, the area of town I'm going to be in, where I'm going to go to church, the jobs I'm going to accept, on and on and on and on. Do I make these independent decisions apart from God? Because it looks good. Who has made a decision because it looked good? Lot. He looked and saw that the grass was green on the other side. I said, oh man, surely. This must be a good place to live in. And he moved in there and destroyed his entire family. <clears throat> Amen? Amen? Because that decision was made where? In the flesh. Verse 6 says, to be spiritually minded brings life and peace. But verse 7 is very interesting. It says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's what enmity means, state of feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. 
Now, can you imagine I make a decision to live in a particular way in the flesh or carnally, and the Bible is telling me that lifestyle is enmity against God. It's a state of feeling, of being opposed to God. I mean, if somebody was to give you a choice, and say, Tony, let me give you this choice. Do you, do you, do, would you rather live for God or live opposed to God? What, what would you choose? For God. For God. It's, it's no brainer. If I, make, if, I give, if I give a clear option, live for God or be, live in a life that's opposed to God, you choose, you choose live for God. We know that. But what the Bible is telling us is when, whenever you and I go away from the mind of Christ and choose to make our own decisions and choose our own life and, and, and make our own choices, what you've done in reality is you say, God, I want you to be my enemy. In other words, you are doing the devil's job for him. He does not have to attack you any longer because all you have to do is just operate in the flesh and he knows you're going to be against God. God is going to be against you. It's not a luxury to want to live in enmity against God. It's like a parallel rail lines that can never come together. You're one track and God is on another track. That's, the, that's what we have when we live in carnality. To be opposed to God. That will not be our portion in Jesus' name. Amen. We will not make choices that will set us Amen. opposed to God because that only leads to destruction. But that's what Paul is trying to encourage us, not to live like that. In verse 9, Paul settles this truth for us. If you have any doubt, if you're wondering, is this possible to have the mind of Christ, blah, 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 he settles it. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. It's not asking your permission. It's not asking you, do you think you are in the spirit? It's telling you. You, as a born again believer, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Why? Because that flesh was there with at the cross. Yeah. Yes. It gives a caveat. You are not in the flesh as long as the Spirit of God dwells in you. And of course, if you are a born-again believer, that is what happens. So because we know that uh, our old man has been crucified, put to death. It's time for us to have a burial. Let's bury it. So it does not keep on coming back to sidetrack us. Amen. Your carnal nature and your carnal mind died with Jesus. The confused, depressed, addicted, guilty, stressed out, anxious mind that compares itself with everyone else died with Jesus and it's time to give it a decent burial. You have a brand new life to live. And so let's conclude this by going to Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 17 in the message translation. Romans chapter 8, no, chapter 10. Yeah, 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 yeah. Romans chapter 8, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 17. In the message, if you can get it. Ah, voila, thank you. Please pay attention to what the scripture says. But for you who welcome him, that's all of us here in this room, in whom he dwells, that's all of us in this room, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Verse 11, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he will do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. 
bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. Can it get any clearer? With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Next verse. So, don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? You don't owe it any red cent. You don't owe it nothing. There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Man, 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 man. Verse 16. God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children. Verse 17. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him as well. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We see this truth. What he just said to us here, we see it also in Romans chapter 6. Verses 6 through 11 in the NIV. Same truth. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. In the NIV. Let me see if I can find it. Praise God. NIV. Ah, thank you. (laughs) For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Verse 10 and 11. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Amen? Can you give me that verse 11, Romans 6, in the Passion Translation? (laughs) Praise God. The Lord is your helper. That verse 11, Romans chapter 6. Oh, so let let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, that's the point I want to see. I want you to see. You and I are joined with him. You must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. I think that's what really needs to, that's what we really need to get, to sink in us, to really, really understand the fact that you are actually in union with the anointed one, with Jesus Christ. When that becomes real, when it becomes a reality to all of us, thinking like Jesus will be the default. And your mouth will acknowledge that. 
Because out of the abundance of the mouth, your mouth will speak. Or rather, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. So it is very important for us to consider that the carnal nature died and for us to see ourselves as brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Your complete freedom depends totally on this. So now, we're going to close tonight by saying this. Where's the other? Oh, thank you, sir. So the next time a negative thought or temptation comes to your mind, or perhaps you are faced with a very negative circumstance, consider that your carnal nature is dead and say, no, that's not my thought. That's not who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I have a righteous mind. You've got to speak. I can't speak it for you. Yeah. God will not come down and speak it for you. Right. You've got to embrace what is done. All the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. amen. As me and you accept it, receive it, and embrace it. That's the reality of everything we taught all week. Me and you, understanding this truth, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So for some of us, we don't know. And then the second question, question second issue is, some of us just refuse knowledge, period. But I pray to God tonight that as we open ourselves and say, Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, I invite you in. Help me in this decision I need to make. Help me in this choice I'm trying to make. Help me to understand what I need to do, where I need to be. Just inviting him. Just using the pattern that Jesus used. I can of my own self do nothing. What I see my father do, that's what I'm doing. So he's asking us to be in union with him and allow him to live his life through us. You cannot do it on your own. But it's equipped us with everything we need so that we can live a life that's fruitful and fulfilling. Can we just stand on our feet?